mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean here, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. Sean P. and I will be running down our best and worst of tech 2020. So we've got a couple of things that have been on our mind for a while now, and now that we're into the new year, I really wanted to take some time and talk about some of our favorite things and some of our least favorite things that happened in the year 2020. So bear with me. I'm going to ring up Sean P. and let's get to it. Mr. Spring. Mr. Plunkett, how goes it? It helps when I'm actually on speakerphone. <laughs> I've heard on? that to be true, yes. Yeah, as it turns out. How are you? Not too bad. We are, um, I have already advised our listeners that we are gathering uh, in this sacred distant time to talk about some of the best and worst of tech in 2020. So I am announcing tonight's episode is a very special episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I mean, aren't they all special? <laughs> uh, you are special, and I mean that in the truest short bus sense of the word. Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. So, um, as you know, but I will advise our beloved listeners, I sent you a list with uh, nine categories on it earlier, I guess. Do you have anything else that you would like to cover before we uh, kind of roll through what we're giving out some of our awards to? No, I think that this is a pretty good list. Let's let's hit it. Okay, so um, where do you, where do you want to start? I will give you as the uh, guest host the honor of selecting. We don't have to do them in any particular order, and maybe we want to lead up to phone of the year at the very end, so we can keep people listening. So, um, where would you like to start? Let's do the not quite there yet, but maybe next year award. Okay, so uh, first on the list, we are giving the, or at least I will say what I'm giving it to, or who I'm giving it to, the Not Quite There Yet, but Maybe Next Year Award. For me, um, that's going to go to the Samsung Z Flip 5G. And as you know, because we've talked, and if anybody who is listening now is a big fan of the show, uh, I really like this particular foldable style of device, and I gave very strong consideration to buying this phone this year. Uh, notwithstanding it's uh, a little bit ridiculous price tag. But for me, it's just not quite there yet. And the reason it's not quite there yet is the functionality of the device when it's flipped open looks pretty legitimate. Um, it, when it's closed, however, that tiny little rinky-dink uh, display on the front doesn't do much for anybody. And I think that in general, Samsung has been able to um, very rapidly change and, and iterate on their designs. So I think that next year's version, which is already rumored, uh, will have a much larger exterior display. Will actually do quite a bit more with that particular um, with that particular feature. And uh, I think that that is something that I will very much strongly considering buying. Uh, strongly consider buying in 2021. Um, I really like the phone this year, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Um, and so for me, that's why they get the, uh, not quite there, but maybe next year. All right. I, I'm going to give this award to the LG Wing, ah. which uh, I think is a really interesting device. It's It, it was too expensive. It's $1,000, right? I still think the idea is interesting. It's It has some of the upsides of, a, you know, a, a folding phone, only um, it, it's not as fragile. So... It's an interesting way of giving you more real estate to work with. 
and without having to deal with screens that are you know, softer or, or more fragile, so you actually get legitimate glass screens. Uh, the reason I think it's not quite there yet is it, it, it costs a thousand dollars, one, which is a problem, and then also <laughs> you know, it, it only had a sixty hertz screen in an era of high refresh. Um, it had a Snapdragon seven sixty five G. Uh, which isn't a problem in and of itself. We've seen that ship perform admirably in other phones, but I think they need to figure out what they're making this exactly. Um, they they also have some software issues that they they've been up, updating as they are, they've gone along. But um, I think that the the concept could use more functionality, and there's still more there to be uh, gained uh, by updating software. So I'm hopeful next year maybe we get a version that uh, yeah, 120 hertz uh, updated software. Um, yeah updated chipset maybe and then updated software and I, and I think it would still be really cool because again it, we're kind of in an era where we're trying to figure out ways to have our phones uh remain pocketable while still giving us more real estate and foldables as one solution but i thought the wing was an interesting solution to this problem that is also less fragile uh and by virtue of that kind of has some upsides so um not quite there but with a few tweaks i think it'd be really interesting yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from with that. And um, while I'm not as high on the um, the usability of the wing itself as a as a practical device, uh, I can totally see if if they took a Samsung esque style uh, approach to hey, we think we've got something here. Let's iterate on it and make it better. Um, they they LG might actually be in the business of making mobile phones beyond you know the next two or three years. Who knows? Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, we saw there. You know, they just showed their. Uh rollable phone so i like the samsung excuse me lg is doing weird stuff and you have to doing weird stuff for weird stuff's sake isn't reason enough but uh the wing i think does have some usability cases that you could argue would be oh yeah like i want to watch a video while also be able to i don't know respond to text or what have you and it's like because it's actually glass still um it's a lot less fragile. So, yeah, anyway, we'll see if anything ever becomes it. It could just be one of those flash-in-the-pan things that never catches on. But yeah. um, with like some the, tweaks, like it's the, interesting. Like the G5 with its uh, spring-loaded uh, pistol magazine-style battery exchange system, which uh, lasted exactly all of one year. <clears throat> True story. How about, uh, since we're talking about things that are kind of weird and unusual, how about we go to most innovative device this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm talking to you on it. I'm, I'm going to give it to the Z Fold 2. Um, Samsung kind of, you know, jumped into the foldable space last year, and the original Fold felt very much like a version 1.0 product. And with the second iteration, I think they took, which was already something that was pretty innovative and really took that to the next level. They expanded the front screen to actually be uh, full-size and usable, which seems nice in and of itself. Um, the interior screen, they got rid of that gigantic notch cut out in the corner in favor of a punch hole. The chrome tab? Uh, made, the chrome yeah, tab they, had in the corner? <laughs> yeah, they made it 120 hertz, which is a big deal. Um, when you're actually using the device, it's so nice to have what is effectively a high-refresh tablet that you can pop open at any given point. Um, and they refined the software to improve the multitasking and, and do some other things and, you know, improve the camera chipset, all the all the kind of stuff you expect from year to year. So um, to me, it really was the – it feels now like a fully fleshed out product instead of more of a demo, which I think the original Fold was. Um, and I think this kind of shows the promise of this style of device 
they're still really expensive. Um, and, you know, there's still the, the issue of Android tablets in general, which is what this effectively becomes when you open it. The, the software still isn't quite as good as something like, you know, on an iPad or whatnot. But um, really, I've really enjoyed using this thing. And uh, I can't tell you how useful it is. Just, you know, yesterday we were kind of out about doing some um, uh, errands and the Chiefs game was on. And, you know, it's pretty neat to just be able to open my phone up into a tablet and watch the football game um, on the go. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, for me, that's the that's the winner. It really took a demo device and made it into a real fully fleshed consumer device that um, improved upon its predecessor in every way. And uh, it'll be interesting to see next year the rumors are – basically very similar, but they might be able to, or this year, I guess, I keep doing that, we're in 2021. I know, right? They, they, they might actually hide the camera cut out and put it under the screen, and then it sounds like they made a lot of improvements with the glass enough so that you can use an S Pen um, next year, and it's like, you know, once they, this year, god damn it. Um, <laughs> it's 2021, bro. Yeah, but, but once they kind of get that, get them a little less fragile, especially if they can improve the folding glass and if you can use the S Pen and then they can really expand the software even further, I think that uh, it, it becomes a really interesting device because now you have the larger screen for browsing stuff on and then also um, if you want to use it more as a productivity device, if they can get the S Pen to work and kind of get the screen a little more robust, I, that's something that I could see a lot of people being interested in. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm right there with you this year. Uh, the most innovative device of 2020 was absolutely the Z Fold 2. Um, <clears throat> a couple things that are kind of in the same vein um, as you, but but maybe, you know, a little bit of a different take on it. I think that, you know, again, we've talked a lot at length that foldables really are kind of the, the future of this category, like mobile devices that can do more than what they can do today is is definitely the wave of the future. It's very sci-fi in that, you know, you do have a phone that folds open and you're just like, what? What is this? You know, things beyond just being able to on the go consume content, which is absolutely a valid enough reason to be able to make this purchase. You know, you're, we've talked a lot about, you know, the prices. Well, you could buy a phone and a tablet for the price of this phone, but what you get in the convenience factor goes beyond that. Like you're, you're out doing something and... You wanna um, you wanna read an ebook? Boom! You've got a you know a seven inch uh, tablet there to read. You know I've I told you before about like I think the, one of the best use cases is say you're out and you know traveling, you're exploring a new city. You fold it open. You've got Google Maps. You've got this gigantic you know non uh, paper map that's with you that that literally will help guide you wherever it is that you go. You've got you know some of the best cameras that Samra uh, Samra that Samsung offers. Uh, built into this device and and then you get into a situation where you're taking photos and you now have a huge display to review them on and go wow you know this wasn't exactly what I wanted or you know maybe you get um you know maybe you get the mobile version of some photo editing software and you now have this gigantic beautiful display to be able to do the editing work on you know before you upload them to your favorite compressed social media site um it it really is just um remarkable what Samsung did in a relatively short period of time with making this uh, from a concept to a reality and a reality that people can actually use. It's a lot less fragile than, you know, it, it the first concept version of it was, you know, the, the hinges that started to break and, you know, weird bubbles and, and sharp objects started to pop up from underneath the screen in the first version. And now, you know, I've seen your phone, I've played with it. It's, I, I, I was really struck by how small it looked 
in person, but when you use it, it certainly is the best example of having that gigantic amount of real estate available to you. And uh, it, it truly was, you know, m- maybe the pinnacle of smartphone achievement this year, um, without question. And, you know, you know, some people will say, well, the iPhone 12s, you know, cam- 12 Pro Max and cameras and blah, 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 blah. Like all that stuff doesn't do anything that the iPhone didn't do before. It does all of those same things, just does them better. Literally, Samsung did not have a folding phone at one point in time, and now they do. And they're one of a very few OEMs that was able to bring this device to market, and it's by far and away the best. So definitely, uh, definitely agree with you. That was by far and away to me the most innovative device in 2020. Yeah, it's still expensive. There are still downsides, but from an innovation standpoint, they're they're doing something really interesting. And um it is interesting to have to use it for a while. It doesn't feel as fragile. When I first got it, I really was like, oh, I need to baby this thing. And after a while, like, it just becomes a phone. And maybe that's, you know, I have a pretty decent sized case on it. So don't get me wrong. But the fact that it is just a phone in the end, and you start to be able to just use it that way for a second generation uh, new form factor device is pretty impressive, all things considered. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, and since we're along those same lines, Let's talk about let's talk about the flop of the year, or as I like to call it, the inaugural "What in the hell was Samsung thinking?" award. And for me, that goes quite clearly. You want to guess what it's going to be? Yeah, I, I think I, I went off on this phone when it was actually introduced, but it's the <laughs> Note Twenty, which is the like just the ultimate. It's one of the ultimate examples of just in corporate history of what the fuck were they thinking? Where I I, I literally. I, I've given this more thought than I should have. I, I really have. But in the history of products, this is one of the largest head scratchers ever that I can ever think of where a company just literally decided to take a shit on their customers and uh, bring this to market. It's it's incredible. I don't want to step on it too much, although I think I just did. Go, go right ahead. It's, it is definitely poop in a box, a poop in a retail box, because it, it had... It had literally no reason to exist, and yet Samsung spent money, R&D, and marketing time to bring this phone to market and actually, I was going to say, and actually have this phone sell, but I'm not even sure they may have sold one. Like, unless you could get a BOGO on a carrier deal and get this phone for free, there's absolutely no reason for this phone to have existed, nor is there any reason for Samsung to have ever made it. The Note 20 Ultra was superior in every conceivable way. The shortcomings and the drawbacks for the device made it markedly worse than the S20 Ultra and the S21 or the S20 Plus for that matter, in which case you should save the money and get that. It was ridiculously overpriced. It was horribly underspecked. And it it was it, it was literally like somebody in Samsung's team went, hey, we got a bunch of parts left over. Let's just let's throw them all into a phone and see if we can sell it versus just keeping those parts in a parts bin and going, nobody's going to buy this phone anyways. We'll just recycle these and, and do good for the environment and call it a day. The, the Note 20 literally is without question for me, the flop of the year. And we will and maybe I'm even considering, you know, for the end of 2021, early 2022, we, we may call it the, uh, instead of the flop of the year, we may call it the annual Galaxy Note 20 award for the phone that should not have existed. 
Yeah, it's it's offensive. I still would argue. It's like they they did. It, it is as though they took the A seventy one or seven seventy one. I think it is, and they just had a bunch laying around, and they're like, "Hey, you know what we'll do? We'll drill a hole in the corner, shove an S pen in there, and then try to charge people a thousand dollars for it." God. And it's like, "Hey, I have an idea. Go fuck yourself." <laughs> I mean, it, it is. It is. It's incredible, and they did it with a straight face. It's like after all the S twenties came out that had quad HD and. 120 hertz and you know top end specs they they took a mid-range plastic phone um 60 hertz which makes no sense they're literally just going backwards yeah. like even their you know the galaxy s20 fe which we'll talk about i'm sure in, in categories later their budget phone had a 120 hertz screen by the way yeah um fhd and you know, a, a hole punch that's way larger than any of their other offerings this year it is definitely it looks like a mid-range phone in every single way and they said we're gonna try we're gonna charge you 999 dollars for this yeah and something you said even if there was a bogo and you could get one for free you're overpaying <laughs> like i don't i don't understand it, it, it just is mind-boggling and the, and the fact that they got up with their there with a straight face and tried to sell this is just incredible to me um and i i would have loved to i i just there are times when i wish i could just they would you know record the meetings where decisions like this are made and play it back to the public just to see if like, were they high? Were they drinking <laughs> heavily? Um, you know, who greenlit this and who said, Oh yeah, this, this won't be a problem. I mean, sometimes there's at least like some justification, but you know, literally every reviewer, every, every tech person who watched the announcement immediately, like this did not pass the sniff test. It nope. smelled like shit because it was shit. <laughs> And it's just crazy that it happened. And yes, I almost do think that this category should just be called the, uh, you know, no 20 dump in your lap phone <laughs> fail of the year or something. Because it's, it, 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 I don't know, incredible. You know, still to this day, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> I couldn't tell, actually. Tell me how you really feel. The uh, the funny thing about this is even if we name this award the Note 20 uh, Fail of the Year Phone Award, it's still, considering all the things that the Note 20 is and isn't, it still would be a high bar to clear for failure. It yeah, is it, bad. It's just, just bad. It's, it's incredible, actually. It's still, I just, I cannot believe the Samsung tried to, with a straight face, pull that off. I mean, maybe this is someone just fucking around where they sell so many phones, they're like, hey, let's let's try something truly outlandish and see if people bite at it. Maybe it was just like a, you know, a troll job. Um, but anyway, yeah, unbelievable. It's great that Samsung invests hundreds of millions of dollars in, in that most epic troll job of all time. Yeah, you know, let's fuck with people and see what happens. Like, okay, well, here's what happens. You can cram it right up your ass because no one's biting at this horrible offering for a thousand dollars i'm sure we'll uh, see uh, i hope we see a note 21 i really i really do because that would be spectacular so yeah <clears throat> so m- moving on to brighter pastures what is yeah. your uh what is your pick for best value device of the year it, i think it has to go to the pixel 4a after really thinking about this um the launch was ugly because google just <laughs> I don't know what they're doing at the time with their hardware, and I'm not sure they do either. Yeah, Google doesn't but, know what they're doing either is correct. Yeah, and I know COVID happened. We had a once-in-a-century pandemic, so it got delayed. You know, the initial color offerings got, um, you know, changed, and there's all kinds of rumors, and it leaked pretty profusely before it came out. But at the end of the day, that device, for 
you're looking for a basic phone that does everything pretty well, is going to get updates. Oh, and by the way, it has, you know, damn near class-leading camera um, that you can get for under, what, it's 300 and, what is it down to now, 329? Yeah, I think it was 340, um, 349 at launch. I'm not sure 3, if it's... 349 at launch. Yeah. yeah, now you can get it for less than that. But even at 349, <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to argue that um, that's not the, the best value device of the year. I, I know overseas... They get crazy like Xiaomi's and Redmi's and phones that do all kinds of stuff in the same general price range. But that's just not a thing in the United States. So I think it's an unfair comparison. And when you're looking at um, the phones that you can purchase here, what that phone does for its price, I don't think anything else touches it. Yeah, I, I hard agree here. In fact, this was probably the easiest pick for me out of all of these categories. I mean, for $350, you're getting the best Google software. You're getting pretty good um you know build in terms of like it's a unibody uh, polycarbonate um chassis it's got a good enough display i mean it's a 350 dollars phone so i'm not expecting the best ever it's 60 hertz it's you know it's a nice it's a fine panel um it's got a small ish hole punch um one of the things that i did like from google this year was that they kind of unified the design language which i'm sure saved them a bunch of money and again they're are probably a lot of reasons COVID related uh, to go along with that. But I like the fact that you've got this, you know, you've got the 4A, you've got the 4A XL, you've got the 5, and they all kind of look the same. They have different sizes, they have different feature sets, but you know, the, the 4A is a single camera. It doesn't have a multi-cam system, but it, it still does have the benefits of Google's um, computational photography algorithms behind it. Um, you know, it's, it's small, it's light, the battery is, is good. It gets you through a whole day. Um, and it really just, it, it is, it smashes everything in terms of camera performance at that price tag and everything else is roughly equivalent. So you get, you know, a clean, uh, positive software experience. Google is going to update you for three years with OEM, um, you know, issued updates like that. That's a thing, especially for the $350 phone that will allow you to continue to use that $350 phone for a long time to come. Now, there are some shortcomings, you know, there are some issues maybe with the amount of RAM, there may be issues with the processor in it, um, and longevity may suffer as a result. But ultimately, I think everything boils back to, you know, what is what is the value that you're getting for 350 bucks? I, I agree with you. I think you'd be hard pressed to find here in the US another device that comes with as much um, punch for 350. And it's certainly in terms of camera punching well above its weight and well above its price tag. And um, I, I, I like what Google did with the 4A. Uh, There's some people who will quibble about it. Um, you know, there was a, a 3A and a 3A XL, and there's really not kind of that disparity there. The 4A and the 4A 5G is kind of the XL, but it, it's different enough. And, you know, it has an extra camera and it has, you know, a much bigger battery. It has a different processor. It's got more RAM. Like, you know, Google's strategy, as we've already talked, is, is confusing at best and shameful at worst. But... Um, they, they did a lot of things right with the 4A, and I think that a lot of people who just need a good, cheap phone um, would be really, really happy if they bought it. Yeah, uh, I same. Uh, it, it's the slam dunk if you need a cheaper Android phone that's going to get support for a while. <clears throat> but it's, it's the recommendation for me that uh, just... It, it, it's the only recommendation, really, if you're in that really cheap price range, I think, that makes sense for most people. Yeah, it's kind of the, the default... Um, recommended Android phone, which is no small thing considering that, you know, we've already talked about Samsung has, you know, a billion phones at every price point, And there are lots of other, you know, Alcatel, um, TCL, you know, style phones that are cheap, cheap, cheap that you can get from 
um, you know, your carrier store, or you can buy them online from Amazon Unlocked and, and get them to work with whatever service you have. So there, there are some definite, there are cheap phones and there are good phones and very rarely do you find a cheap, good phone. Um, and I think the 4A fits that bill. And I'll use that as my segue. And this may be the most controversial take of the podcast, but I will tell you that I'm going to use that as my um, transition to uh, the OEM that had the best year award. And I'm giving it to Google, and here's why. <clears throat> I think the 4A is one of the best values, if not the best value, as, already, as we've already talked about, uh, of phones in 2020. The 4A 5G is definitely a compelling value at its price point. The Pixel 5, to me, is also an especially val- uh, especially compelling value proposition at its price point. And we can talk a little bit about you know millimeter wave and its inclusion in the device, making it slightly more expensive than it should be. But... Um, I think Google has it had a year where they put out three phones that were all good for different reasons. They also had one of my other favorite devices of the year, and that is the, um, what does the box say? Chromecast with Google TV. I've got it sitting here right next to me on my desk. Um, I got one of these for free, so, um, you know, as, as being a loyal YouTube TV customer. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the fact that this little, you know, I think, what is it, like $59 dongle, um, does almost everything that my much more expensive NVIDIA Shield TV does, and does it just about every bit as well. And they put that out, they had, you know, a couple of different um, Nest Home products that came out this year, you know, not overly, you know, magical, not any, you know, not world beating by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, we're, we're used to a Google that has a lot of either really hits like the original Chromecast and its subsequent iterations. Um, and a lot of really big misses, like basically both of the pixel four devices last year. And to me this year, they took a very conservative approach, which is very unusual for Google, the company that likes to throw crap at the wall and see if it sticks. But to me, they they had a year where pretty much everything that they put out, you could make a really solid case for and that it has enough usefulness that somebody should buy it. And that is not always the case with a Google product. And I was pleasantly surprised. And I, of course, as you know, am a Pixel fanboy. I am on record saying that I, for one, welcome our Google overlords. And, you know, they didn't necessarily have a great year from a PR standpoint, especially with all of the issues that arose um, you know, within the organization itself, um, and and the company uh, as a, Alphabet at large is a very different discussion than we would have in the scope of our podcast. But Google as a phone and device OEM, I think, maybe had the best year of of anybody this year. They avoided the flops that Samsung had. They avoided the you know kind of overpriced more of the same that Apple had. Um, they didn't put out anything weird like LG. They did not um, have uh, sanctions placed against them like Huawei. They did not um, not produce a phone like uh, HTC. Um, they just they quietly came out and had, without a lot of fanfare, a really good year releasing products, which genuinely surprised me. And, um, and that's why I am picking them for my OEM that had the best year award. I don't think that's that controversial. They're actually so I narrowed this down to four companies. Um, you know, OnePlus. I think they released fine phones, but they jacked the prices way up and kind of stopped updating their phones regularly and started doing some weird stuff with the Nord line. And I'm not sure exactly where they're headed, so I couldn't give it to them. 
Um, I thought about Google. I think the 4A launch was just one of the weirdest things ever and all over the place. I think they made a mistake by uh, putting millimeter wave in the stock Pixel 5 and making it $100 more than it otherwise should have been um, to placate Verizon. I don't like that the 4A white, 4A 5G white colorway was only also initially on um, Verizon and also $100 more. Um, but overall, their lineup makes a lot of sense. Like at the end of the year, when I'm looking at it, and I think that they exceeded my expectations, so they were in the running. Um, I think Apple had to be in the running. Their phones, the, the, the 12s are a weird uh, mix. I, I like that they're all AMOLED now and that they uh, increased resolutions. Um, the boxier design is kind of neat. They made the camera improvements in the 12 Pro Max, but then they had a couple of missed opportunities too in the you know, they, they didn't add in high refresh screens in any of the devices, which is really weird for last year because even budget Android devices started to get that feature. And also their phones are just boring as shit, so there's that. Um, and then Samsung had a mixed year because, they, like, the S21, the S20 lineup, it, it, they were nice, but they were also way, way too expensive. The Ultra had the weird camera issues. Yeah. Um, you couldn't run 120 hertz in QHD. You only do it in FHD. Um, and then with the Note launch, it's like they had the Note 20, which is just an epic pile of garbage. I think the Note 20 Ultra was a really well-rounded phone, though, so I guess that kind of balances out slightly. Although, I don't know, man. The Note 20 is a turd anchor. It may even drag the Note 20 Ultra down. Uh, but then again, they have the, the Z Flip 5G, which I think is one of the more interesting phones of the year, and obviously the Z Fold 2, which we've talked about, um, is a really interesting phone. So, um, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge here, and I'm gonna say it's a three way kind of tie. I'll say Google because I think their phones make more sense than they ever have before, and even with the the pricing misstep. Um, it, it's slight, but overall, I, I think, you know, between kind of the lower end of the spectrum, the medium and the high, the Pixel lineup is really, really solid. Um, I'm going to give Apple co-ownership here because, you know, their phones didn't rock the world, but their lineup continues to make the most sense to me in a lot of ways, which is they have small, medium and large phones with price points that make sense. And, you know, in a, a year of maybe status quo, um, they sell so many freaking phones. I guess it's hard to fault them. Uh, and then I'll give it to Samsung, too, um, from the perspective that I think they're doing the most innovative work with their folding devices. Sometimes they still make some puzzling decisions, but uh, they had a couple really good quarters and um, I think regained their crown as selling more smartphones worldwide than anyone else. So it's kind of a weird year, and when I look back – all three of those companies, Google, Apple, and Samsung, despite having some low lights, I think all had uh, good years, all things considered. And I didn't have a particular standout, so um, they each get a third. It's like uh, Mean Girls where she breaks the crown into pieces and throws it out. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> like that. Um, pity pieces of the crown for, for those three. Uh, there you go, folks. Your first Mean Girls reference of 2021. Um, you know, and, and there are some... There might be some nits to pick there. Um, I would tend to agree, uh, you know, that, that they all had their various points and, and peaks and valleys. Um, and, you know, certainly Samsung, I think, was able to consistently produce um, great devices. There are some, some bad choices there, and that's why I couldn't, I couldn't say they had the best year because the Note 20 was just a debacle. 
Apple for me is is a little bit of a different um, a little bit of a different beast. Um, and and by by way of um, kind of moving to the next category, the OEM that didn't have the best year award, I actually had two um, OEMs for this award, uh, and one of them was Apple. And here's why. And when I, it, it's going to sound a little bit weird when we get to one of the next categories, but but bear with me. Apple released more phones this year than they ever had. And they the phones themselves are actually in some ways really, really good. Um, and in some ways they're a little bit head scratching too. And this is why I couldn't give them the best year award. So some of the things that you talked about are the exact, you know, some of the reasons that you talked about as pros are cons for me. So they, they made the switch to OLED for all of their devices, but all of them are 60 Hertz. And so, yeah, they're, they're smooth and iOS is, I mean, I would say that iOS is not necessarily scaled to take advantage of high re- refresh rates, but they have used high, re- high refresh rates, easy for me to say, uh, in their LCD panels before. So it seemed like they could have taken that technology to the next step if they wanted to. And there were some rumors that there were a couple of specific limitations regarding battery life, which is why they kind of ditched it and went just with 60 hertz panels all across the board. So they kind of you know took two steps forward and then one step back. The... <clears throat> the scaling of features between the 12 and the 12 Pro, and we mentioned this specifically in the pod um, where we talked about the Apple announcements. So if you want a deeper dive on that, dear listener, um, you can head back and listen to the earlier shows about this. But the, the delta between the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro is literally like a camera, a little bit of battery life, and a little bit of brightness in the screen, and that's it. But the price delta is is significant enough where for most people, you're essentially saying you should buy the iPhone 12 over the 12 Pro, which is a weird way of cannibalizing their own sales. And the, the iPhone 12 Pro Max it is literally the pinnacle of Apple's design and, and engineering technology. And it is, I, I like you, I like the new design language. It's really cool. The the really flat industrial look and, and metal rails on the side of aluminum, aluminum sides. Um it is fun and it's neat and it, it's pretty cool and you um, definitely don't want to put it in a case, but you absolutely should put it in a case. Um, but it's also hugely expensive. Um, it is a massive phone. I mean, it's it's essentially as big as the you know self surfboard. Um, uh, what are the old ones called? The Plus model of the phones, so like the Seven Plus or the Eight Plus. Like those are just it's they're just massive phones. They didn't reduce the size of the notch any, though. They didn't really bring anything to the table that wasn't already there. They did improve the sensor size um, and hopefully the ability of the camera to take better photography and better videography in the 12 Pro Max. But the 12 Pro didn't get any of those benefits. And so it, it was just there was a lot of puzzling decisions there for me. And from a company like Apple, where they're, we're used to them basically just coming out and telling the you know proverbial I sheep, you know, here's the phone that you should buy and you should buy it because it's cool. And it ends up actually being one of the best phones on the market. I mean, their silicon smashes pretty much everything in terms of performance. You know, battery life is usually acceptable to okay. Um, and, you know, they, they have some of the best, you know, amongst the best in still photography, amongst the best, if not the best in videography. But their lineup just is, it was really confusing to me. And there's only one of these devices out of all of them that I would actually pick if I had to use one myself, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But some of their 
some of their choices this year were really strange to me. The only other company that was up in the running for me was, was Huawei <laughs> for, for obvious reasons. Anytime your company gets banned by the U.S. government, um, you're probably going to have some problems. When your company is no longer able to use um, you know, Qualcomm processors, when your company is no longer able to use Intel modems, when your company is no longer able to use Google Play services, um, when you can't essentially get access to the top-end U.S.-based technology companies' products for your phones, you're going to have some challenges. Now, you know, Huawei has, has begun to use and still uses their, you know, Kirin um, high silicon chips in their devices. So they're, they're starting to produce, you know, more of the stack for their own phones. Um, but yeah, anytime the U.S. government effectively like cripples your business by banning your company, um, you're you're probably not going to have a great year. And I think back to what was it? Was it twenty? What was it? Twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen? When they were at CES and they were supposed to go on stage, the CEO was going to go on stage and announce a partnership with AT and T, and then AT and T like yanked it at the last minute, and the CEO went up on stage and was ranting for like a half an hour about why um, would an American company do this? It's not good for the global economy, and yada yada yada. It, it started there, and it got worse for them over the, the intervening course of the last couple of years. And you know, I, I'd feel bad for Huawei if you know they weren't already a you know billion dollar company. Um, but they, they did not have a terrific year, which is bad for smartphones in general because I think some of their devices, are, especially the, the ones that are released in Europe, um, have some really interesting features and are amongst the best performing devices um, in terms of not only raw performance, but battery life too. And they have, you know, like the telescope or the, was it the periscope camera? Um, yep. And, and some of the other, you know, interesting things that they've done with their displays and stuff is just... Uh, you know that they seem like they're innovating, um, but yeah, this was this was kind of a rough year for for Huawei. What do you, who do you think um, did not have the best year this year? Yeah, so I mean, look, I didn't include Huawei because uh, I don't think they ever had enough of a foothold in the U.S. market and were kind of U.S. centric a little bit on the pop um, to to like warrant it. But yeah, I mean, Trump banished them to the shadow realm, and they went from like the number two OEM to whatever they are now. They actually just added restrictions back again, so they can't get you know equipment and IP, and I don't know if they can get chips fabbed again. So yeah, I mean, look, he. He crippled them, and it's kind of weird, too. I've never actually seen the compelling evidence, although there seems to be more suggestion now that maybe there are some shenanigans they were pulling, and maybe to some extent this is warranted. I'd love to actually see the evidence because Trump just does things all the time that's completely nonsensical because he doesn't like someone or something, and so it's like it's hard for me to understand his motivations. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, they're crippled, and I don't know what that means for them longer term. Um, I'm actually picking OnePlus, though, here. Hmm. They, you know, they went from the flagship killer to kind of the value brand to you got fast updates. And this year, most of the decisions they made were just puzzling to me. Um, They brought out the the 8 and 8 Pro, and they were really expensive, and I don't think probably sold that well from what we can see. And they, you know, like the 8 Pro wasn't on a carrier here, only the 8. It was on T-Mobile, but no 8 Pro. So that's annoying because it really reduces your ability to get that phone out. Um, and then they released the OnePlus Nord, which is their big kind of value phone, but not in the United States. And then they brought out the N100 Nord and that other lower-end one that just came out on T-Mobile, but don't 
really have much to do with the OnePlus brand of old. I mean, they're LCD and kind of lower end. Um, and they stopped updating their phones. I mean, you know, not they're behind Samsung in some metrics now. They used to be the guys that were kind of the, besides the pixels, were the kind of next uh, best bet to get actual updates on your phone. And even that slipped. So, and, you know, and the ATM completely glossing over, which I think is a fine phone, but Galaxy, uh, Samsung released the Galaxy S20 FE at the same time. And it's like, eh, I think it got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I, I guess when I'm looking at OnePlus, the year before with the 7 and the 7 Pro, you know, in the United States, they only released the 7 Pro and the 7T. And it was like, yep. nice bones, you're still getting the fast upgrade upgrades um, for the money. You know, they had specs and they focused on the right things. And this year, they just, it seemed disjointed to me. Um, they, just puzzling decisions across the board. It's like, I, I feel like the Nord should have come here. Um, those, you know, I, I think their base models have gotten too expensive, and especially without carrier support. It's like the A Pro became a hard sell. And I, their strategy just seems muddled. And that's not even taking into account the fact that their CEO left uh, the company. So, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, they're a subsidiary of Oppo, and this was not something that was secret, but. They really just seem to be struggling under the weight of. I, I, they got in, and I think they're trying to grow the brand, but the way that they're trying to grow the brand is confusing to me, and I just I don't like their strategy. And you know, I had a Seven Pro, and I really felt that last year I think I gave them OEM of the year. It was like, man, the Seven Pro for the money is freaking killer. Um, the Seven T was awesome. You had one. I do. Um, you know, we were getting the fast updates. I was getting the the you know betas. It was awesome. And this year was like they really regressed, and I don't know what their strategy is anymore, or what exactly they represent in the market. Yeah, you know, I I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I can totally see where you're coming from, and I agree. I think last year they had one of the better years from an OEM standpoint, and this year they certainly did not. That other low end um, Nord phone that you're talking about is the Nord N10 5G, which is on T-Mobile. Yes, yes, yes. And it <clears throat> it also is a weird. Um, it seems to me like it would have been a simpler choice for them to just bring the Nord to the U.S. rather than develop two different lines of phones to come to the U.S. and to release them. And nobody's going to buy them anyways because nobody's buying the 8T right now or the 8 Pro. Um, so why would they buy a cheaper phone from a company that they've never heard of? I mean, again, unless you're getting them on a you know a carrier subsidized plan or something like that, there's no real reason to do that. So um, I, I I totally see where you're coming from there, and I would absolutely tend to agree. So. Good yeah, times. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see what they do next this year or later this year. God damn it! Um, I, I just I'm apparently in a time machine. 2020 is like Groundhog Day anyway, so maybe that's why. Yeah. But um, but, but yeah, like I just I don't know. I would love to understand what their strategy actually is. And this kind of random dump of phones across the year doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me anymore. I think that they. Really, if anything, should go to a model of like maybe releasing four phones a year, a low-end budget-ish phone, something like the Nord that's more mid-range, um, something like the Eight, which is upper mid-range, or the AT, and then if you want to have a you know a Pro or a Pro at the top of the range, that would make sense. But right now we we get normal and Pro earlier in the year, and then we got the AT later in the year, which where does that fit exactly? I don't know. And then now we're getting the Nord that didn't launch here. And then the Nord N100 and the N10 5G that 
launched later than they came out internationally, kind of seemingly randomly towards the end of the year. So I just, I don't know what they're doing. Um, and they need to get back to updating their damn phones, like, expediently. Um, Agreed there's there. just, You know, that was kind of what made them, as a brand, it was like the two defining features of OnePlus was value for the money and quick updates, and now they're doing neither. So where does that leave you? Yeah, I think somebody, uh, I saw it on Reddit or Twitter, somebody said, um, OnePlus has become the the credo of the Dark Knight, right? So you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I think that in this case, uh, OnePlus has maybe seen themselves become the villain because they were the the enthusiast brand, kind of like we talked a little bit about the the spiritual successor to the Pix or the Nexus line, like cheap phones that were good phones. Yeah. And they've they've absolutely you know, moved away from that and are, are trying to play in the big boy space without the, the big boy cachet. And some of their other low end phones are just, are simply puzzling. And yeah, they could have saved a bunch of money and just brought, you know, three phones or four phones here to the States. And, you know, I legitimately think the N100 and N10 came because, you know, after the, they were, they were here after the rest of the international launch, because I don't think they were selling very well. And I think they were hoping to maybe recoup some of those sales, which is disappointing considering that you know they, from where they were last year to or from where they were in 2019 to where they were in 2020 it's a pretty it's a pretty big swing and um yeah it's definitely a bummer i hope hope they get back on track because that would be good for everybody so yeah okay. so we've got the the top three uh categories left um i'm probably gonna say uh let's do the honorable mention um when i'm calling this the also known as i wanted to give this phone an award anyway award um, and then the phone that you liked most this year, and then ultimately the the pinnacle of smartphone achievement, the Silicon Theory Phone of the Year 2020 award. So my honorable mention uh, is actually going to go, <clears throat> like Morrissey says, stop me if you think that you've heard this one before. Um, I'm going to actually give it to the iPhone 12 mini. And here's why. I have a, a friend of mine at work who bought one, she went from a 7 Plus, I think, uh, to the 12 Mini. And I've seen it in person. It, I've held it. I've used it. Um, and it is a tiny, tiny little phone by modern smartphone standards. It actually makes my tiny Pixel 5 look like a gigantic phone. Um, but it is a small phone that makes almost zero compromises for people who want a small phone. And there are lots of these people. And we have been waiting a very long time for a smartphone company to consistently produce a small phone that has flagship specs. And Google used to do it. Um, the, the Pixel, the OG Pixel and the Pixel XL were kind of in that same vein. Um, and then they lost their way a little bit with the 2 and the 2XL because the, only the XL was the good one, even though it had some weird panel issues. The Pixel 3 was was really good and I liked it, but um, in fact, I owned one of those. I still have it. Actually, it's here sitting in my bag, I think, somewhere. Um, but it still kind of suffered from some of the you know poor design language. And even though it had top and bottom firing front-facing speakers, um, the battery life wasn't fantastic and the panel wasn't great. And the Pixel 4 was just an unmitigated disaster. But there's absolutely a market for people who want a good small phone, a flagship small phone. And I think Apple is one of the only companies that's actually doing it. And while I wouldn't necessarily, because I don't, I mean, I have, uh, as our listeners know, we both have iPhones for work, but, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick it as my personal choice, but I think that there are a lot of people who can and should, 
And it's just, there's something fascinating about it to me. And it has that new industrial design that I really like. And it's super pocketable. And other than it's, you know, decidedly average battery life. Like if you're, if you're, you know, most people and you're not using it a ton during the day while you're at work and, you know, you don't use it for a lot of um, media consumption unless you're on Wi-Fi, it probably will get you through a full day and it's fine. Other than that, there are no compromises in that phone unless you, you know, again, unless you consider 60 hertz a compromise, but no other iPhone has a high refresh rate. So it, it isn't a compromise in that sense. But to me, that was that was a phone like I really think that that may have been the other than the 12 Pro Max, which to me is is just it's just too expensive to, to really consider it as a as a phone that most people should buy. Um, but to me, the 12 mini is one of those phones where you kind of look at it and you go, huh, like that's a really cool little phone. And I like it more than I should as an Android user. And I, I absolutely wanted to show it some shine uh, because I think it deserved it this year. And that's why it takes my honorable mention, a.k.a. I wanted to give this phone an award award. Yeah, it's interesting. Our, our good friend, Nurse Sandy, um, shout out to her. She's shout been out Sandeep. The, the COVID front lines for the last year. Um, but um, she just got one. She had an iPhone 10 or 10R, yeah, uh, 10, um, the X, <laughs> and, and uh, she upgraded to a mini because uh, they did not fit in her scrubs, mm. and she said she's loved the phone so far. So, it, I, again, I, I like, it's kind of interesting, though, the sales numbers seem to indicate people are not buying it. It's not been a hit. So I don't know if that means the market, it, I think it's great that they offer it, but the market doesn't seem to be embracing it as much as you might expect. But, again, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I think from top to bottom, the iPhone lineup makes the most sense and really covers uh, a range of pretty much any size and feature set you could want from a customer perspective. So makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm giving mine to the Note 20 Ultra, which hmm. I think it's just, it, it, it's a fantastic phone that I just couldn't find another um, award to give to it. I love the, the the design. I've obviously had many notes in the past. That was kind of my go-to for, gosh, many, many years. And I, I again, the, this year, the boxy design with almost no bezel and the tiny hole punch, um, I really love the way they did the camera housing as opposed to the S20 Ultra earlier in the year. It, it is an excellent performer. Um, you get an excellent screen. Um, it was even less expensive than the uh, S20 Ultra too. So, you know, it, it's hard to call it a value at $1,200, but yeah. it, it really had top of the line like everything. Uh, and as far as a candy bar phone goes, um, it, I think... It, it's maybe the most well-rounded on the market in a lot of ways. So I uh, couldn't find anything else to give it and just, uh, you know, want to give some shine because I think it's an excellent all-around device. Definitely a fair point. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't know what you're going to pick for phone of the year, but I, I think it certainly could be in contention for phone of the year because it, it literally, as has notes of the past, been kind of the kitchen sink phone where Samsung literally throws everything and the kitchen sink uh, into this phone and and truly the the note is generally there the pinnacle of their achievement and in a year that didn't contain um, the Z Fold 2 and, and the Z Flip 5G might be the pinnacle of their uh, you know engineering and technology te- technological achievements um, it was just it did get a little bit overshadowed by some of the other you know cool stuff that Samsung did this year so um, I, I, I I'm picking up what you're laying down there I think it's a great device also and other than the price um, you know, it, it certainly is a phone that a lot of people would really enjoy using. What now, as kind of the um, always the bridesmaid, but never the bride, 
What was the phone that you liked most this year? I'm actually going to pick the Pixel 5 here. I, I kind of, you know, again, this one flew under the radar a little bit. I think that actually when it first got announced, people were a little bit down on it. But now having seen yours um, and, and kind of seen what the phone does, um, I really just irrationally like it. Yes, I think it's $100 more than it should be because millimeter wave is, you know, just a shit strategy that Verizon is trying to push on people. And I wish Google had told them to pound sand. But taking that out of the equation, even at its actual retail price of $699, it's just a really, really well-rounded device, I think, for what most people are looking for. So having, again, seen yours and kind of held it, I really like the fact that it's not glass on the back. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got that cool textured back. I really like the sage green color. It's slick. Um, I think I think the size is damn near perfect for most people. It's yeah, it's not as small as the mini, but it really is in that like Goldilocks zone of. I think it's just a really nice size. They have uniform bezels all the way around, which sounds like a trivial thing, but phones just don't really do it beyond the iPhones, and it really does make for like a nice design. Um, it's got the hole punch up in the corner, which is small. Um, I think the screen is like really nice, um, and the difference between 90 hertz and 120 hertz is not so much so even even though it's not 120 it feels still sufficiently fast and um it's kind of again is in that goldilocks zone along with the resolution itself where it's like and the chipset same thing 765 and i know a lot of people shit on them for not using the 865 but side by side with the the z fold 2 it's like is it really that much slower i mean maybe it is like it, it may take a millisecond longer to load an app or whatever but there's ben- a difference but benchmarks like, but benchmarks bro right and, and but there's a there's a big difference between slower and slow so yes it's minutely slower but it's certainly not slow and so taking together as a whole with the fact that you get like battery life that is just mind-boggling um you know it it, it really your phone gets better battery life than like the Max phones that Verizon used to, add, you know, offer the Droid Max or whatever the hell it used to be called. It, it's overall just such a, a good all-around phone. We've talked about it at length. It's like the ultimate, like more than the sum of its parts phone. And really, it I just irrationally like it. It's it really, you know, I, I'm a spec whore in every way. Like I always have been. Can confirm. And, yeah. I'm using a freaking folding phone. Um, so I clearly have issues. And yet every time I see it and I just look at what it offers and what it does or talk to you about, you know, the kind of battery life you're seeing or, um, you know, the, the see picture output that it takes. I just saw a photo comparison with the S21 Ultra and it's like, yeah, they used an old sensor. And yet when I look at the picture side by side, like it's a coin flip at best. Sometimes I like the S21 Ultra picture more and sometimes I like the Pixel picture more and you know it's like okay say what you will but at the point that it's up against a 108 megapixel you know $1,200 plus phone and it's like I think it's a coin flip from picture to picture it's like well that means it ain't losing so yeah overall it's just it's, it's a weird thing of we were kind of high on it before it came out a lot of people seem to not be and then the, the proverbial wisdom seemed to like really flip as people used it, where you saw a number of outlets like Droid Life, and even on the Reddit forums and whatnot, where people changed their minds. And I don't know, every time I look at it, I just go, that's a great phone. And I don't really think more about it other than that. And so certainly for me, it just, it, it, 
I don't know, beyond the specs, it seems like a phone that I shouldn't like, and I should be back to spec whoring with Samsung or OnePlus or whatever, and it's like, I just irrationally like it and just think it's a great all-around phone that I would not hesitate to recommend. It's, uh, well, two things. One, um, I'm glad that we're recording this podcast because I want you on record as, as saying that. Not that I might use it against you as leverage in the future, but only because, um, and I will say this just for the listener's benefit, we did we did not talk about what our picks for were these categories, or we did not talk about what our individual picks were for these individual categories, but, but I agree with you here. And I'm not just saying it because I own a Google Pixel 5, but I do own a Google Pixel 5. And I'm not going to belabor the point too much simply because if you as a Samsung fanboy and a spec whore can, can defend the pixel five up and down, there isn't really anything that I can add that would be more convincing, but I'll say this. Um, we had a conversation a little while ago about the, the Z fold two may be the best smartphone that excels at not being a phone. Like it's best when it's in tablet mode because it really is a great like tablet experience. Uh, and the Pixel 5 is on the other end of that spectrum where it's the best phone that excels at doing things that a phone should do. Um, and for me, that is taking great photos with very little effort, having incredible battery life. And when I say the battery life is incredible, I am still every day shocked by how good the battery life is on this phone. There are many days during the week when I'll jump in my car <clears throat> connect my car to Bluetooth, stream, you know, 20, 25 minutes of a podcast, get to the office, which isn't exactly known for um, having terrific mobile signal um, and stream music from YouTube music for, you know, a couple of hours. And then about 1130, 12 o'clock, I'll look at it and I'll still have 100% battery displaying, which isn't true, I don't think, because it kind of rapidly um, decelerates from or descends from 100 to 90, you know, fairly quickly over the next like half hour or so. But just the fact that I don't have to think about the phone's battery life is remarkable in, in every sense of the word. It's a terrific achievement on Google's part. The display is excellent. We were, what were we doing? I can't remember what we were doing the other day, but the family and I were out on Saturday and we needed to navigate somewhere. And I just launched up the launched up Google's Maps and started navigating. And I was looking at the Google Maps on the display and I'm like, wow, I really have a phone that's almost all display on the front. And that illusion of that is generated by the uniform bezels, you know, top, bottom, left, and right. That whole punch, which is very minimalistic and you don't notice it that much after a while. And it just it just does everything the way that I need to do it. And I agree. I think the, the tipping point for me was in one of the forums on Droid Life, you know, Kellen was talking about like, you know, he was ragging on the Pixel 5 at first and then he started using it more and his thing was I stopped being a smartphone like reviewer and just smart started being a, you know, smartphone person user. And and he found the same thing and I made a comment to him about like this is to me it just does it nails the things that a smartphone smartphone should do for most people, right? And he's like this is he replied to one of my comments with something to the effect of this is the phone that everybody slept on and shouldn't have right I'm, i may have missed the boat on this one and i said you know that's that's kind of where i'm coming from with it i was really excited for it to begin with nothing um has diminished my enthusiasm for it since i purchased it um you know and i as far as the price i i tend to agree i don't think that the inclusion of millimeter wave was necessary especially here in the u.s where millimeter wave sucks and is not widely distributed um, but I certainly have paid a hell of a lot more than six ninety nine for phones that did not perform as well, last as long, and took equally as good photos. So for me, it's a win um, in every sense of the word. 
Um, it's one of the reasons why I think Google had one of the best years as an OEM because they produced phones at every price point that do the things that people want them to do the most well. And it is absolutely the phone that I like most this year. And that's why I bought one. Yeah, no, I, I really, it, 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 I actually feel good about this one because I feel like we were ahead of the curve. We, we talked about their strategy this year and how much we liked what we saw before the phone came out. And then I think it ultimately came out and, um, it, look, we were proven right. That's where you're going with this. We were proven well, no, absolutely it, right. It, it's the best Pixel or Nexus phone ever made. I mean, really. I mean, that's no that's question. It. It, it, yeah, no question. I, I think what, what it, with the original mission of the Pixel and Nexus of you know, kind of being the Android iPhone slash you know, less expensive but gets gets you kind of the the stuff that you need. They finally hit it. Like. Great camera, just absolutely stunning battery life, like super solid screen. That's exactly where it needs to be. Um, just a great size, not fragile because it's not glass. Yeah. Um, wireless charging. Yeah. I, I, I just it, they did a great job. We were on the right side of history here, and I like when that happens. Hundred percent correct. <laughs> and I would, I would absolutely, I will, I will die on that hill, no question, every time. So. I think, well, we've only got one category left, and it is, what is our pick for phone of the year? We've, we've had some categories that were the same. We've had some that were different. So I'm, I'm very interested to see what your pick for phone of the year is. So ultimately, like I went through just, you know, all, a lot of different ones in my head and kind of, I think it ultimately narrowed down to like five-ish, which was the, the Z Fold 2, which I bought. Um, but really, it's... You know, still really insanely expensive, not waterproof. It's just not a mainstream phone yet. I think it's it's a good look at the future, but um, you know, it, certainly not for everyone. Uh, so I crossed it off. Um, you have the, I think the OnePlus Eight Pro. Even though they had a weird year, like overall that phone was still super solid in a lot of ways. You know, it was QHD and 120 hertz, which was some, some something that Samsung did not manage to do in 2020 and really had a lot of great stuff going on. It really was an improvement in a lot of ways over the OnePlus 7 Pro, which I loved last year, but ultimately it was really expensive. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I feel like it kind of, because it wasn't available on a carrier, just was floating around out there. So I crossed it off. Um, I had the Note 20 Ultra on there because again, I think it's really, really well-rounded. Uh, does everything virtually uh, that you could ask for from a high-end phone, but um, you know, again, it's really expensive. I'm not sure it's doing enough to differentiate itself. So I, I crossed that off, and that left me with two. So the two that I narrowed down to personally was the Pixel Five and the Galaxy uh, S20 FE, which is kind of incredible because if you had asked me before the year started, um, and if you told me that those are the two phones that would be my two photo of the year candidates at the end of it all i think i would have told you you were high off your ass um, <laughs> and i would have believed you actually <laughs> um, because both of them are like not flagships in the traditional sense and again spec horseshawn right um and you know i i think it just would have been something that i wouldn't have really considered but at the end of it all i, I actually did end up um Boy, it came down to a coin flip, but I ended up going Galaxy S20 FE, and my reasoning for that is this. I think that this year, especially with COVID and everything else, was a freaking weird year. Um, I also firmly believe that phones have just gotten way too expensive 
um, over the years. And I, I do think that in some ways we pushed past a point where it makes sense uh, like there's certain aspects of the phone where it's like, Oh, the camera, like this is minutely better or the screen, like it's minutely better here. And it's like, phones are so freaking good that I think for the, for the return versus the price we've gone to an uncomfortable place where I'm not sure it's worth it anymore. And so these two phones kind of both straddle the, again, Goldilocks of choosing which things matter to consumers and putting in in a package that, is a little more cost effective. And so the Galaxy S20 FE, like they cut the resolution, it's only 1080p, right? But it's 120 hertz, which I think is the right trade-off. Um, I would rather have the 120 hertz, the higher refresh than I would the the um, higher resolution and having used one extensively because my son has one and my brother has one, like you barely notice in actual use. Um, you get the excellent cameras from the S20 series. So you just have cameras that are like, super reliable that you can use um you have the wide angle um you know they're versatile and they're great um you get wireless charging um they had 128 gigabytes plus an sd card slot um it had an s865 and it has 5g so it's kind of like future proof um it has six gig of ram which is less than the top flagships but enough that again like i can tell you in day-to-day use like you don't notice so i i'm picking it because i think from a value proposition standpoint for the average user i like the direction that the s20 fe kind of took flagships in some way which is yeah it's it's no longer bleeding edge in every spec but the specs that it is bleeding edge are the ones that i think make the most sense for most people which is the system on chip and the cameras um it still has a big beefy battery that gets good battery life um and so take it it as a whole it's just such an easy choice. It's like, oh, you want a phone and you don't want to spend too much and you want something that you, is going to be relatively future-proof that you don't have to worry about, that gets good battery life, has cameras that you can trust, and by the way, it has a great screen that you can just use from day to day and you know, expandable storage if you really need it. Um, I think the S20 FE cut corners, so to speak, in the right place and kept the beefy features where they needed to be, where they make sense for most consumers. And the price was the right place, which is, you know, it was six ninety nine, but it dropped to five ninety nine almost immediately. Like, and it's been on perpetual sale almost everywhere since. And then carriers, because it's Samsung offered on all four carriers of the main, all three, excuse me, Sprint is now merged. The three main carriers, um, there were deals to be had almost immediately where you could get them like for free or for very little. Um, and so again, like, it's just, that was something that the Pixel 5 didn't have, to the best of my knowledge, it didn't necessarily have like aggressive carrier deals across all three carriers right off the bat. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it was a close second, though. I, I do love the Pixel 5, and I think that you can make an argument in some ways because you do get faster support. It's a pure version of Android. And I, I do wonder if longer term you're going to get a little more support out of it. But um, there was a case to be made for both, and ultimately I just felt as though the the s20 fe had slightly more features than i think the average user cares about and the fact that it was on all of the major carriers with pretty aggressive deals um just kind of made it stand out this year for me and that's where i ended up yeah i i for me i did kind of much the same process um the four that were on this list for me were <clears throat> excuse me the z fold 2 the 8t from oneplus the Pixel 5, and the Galaxy S20 FE. 
And for many of the same reasons that you did, but also price, I eliminated the Fold 2. I really like it. I think it is a terrific phone. And I think that, you know, minus a few drawbacks, um, you know, price notwithstanding, I still think it is not a phone for everybody. Um, and that and that's part of the reason why I didn't I didn't want to give it phone of the year. It's kind of weird because, you, know, you know, we've given it to notes in the past where the price is super expensive. But I think that that's a phone that, you know, a lot of people would enjoy using. And I'm not saying that a lot of people wouldn't enjoy using the, the Z Fold 2, but it is much more of a, a niche um, use case right well, now. And by the way, I'll just say when those phones were quote unquote expensive, the notes, they were still like, what, 11, 1200 bucks, which yeah. at the time seemed like, you know, my God, make my eyes want to bleed. But yeah, it was crazy person it's, status. It's 66% more expensive than that. So yeah. uh, you're in a whole different stratosphere. Um, tough, so yeah, I'm winning there. Yeah, tough to be a phone of the year when it's it's basically made out of gold. Um, I like the AT a lot. It was kind of the spiritual successor to the 7T. You know, they had some deals where I, I, I think you sent me one of those deals where I really considered getting an 8T. Um, but ultimately I just kept the 7T as a, you know, a, essentially the backup phone for my Pixel 5 because it's fine. Like it does everything I need it to do. It's got the 90 Hertz panel. It's a big display with this little waterfall notch and it's, you know, it's eight gig Ram, 128 gigs of storage. Like it's, it's, it's just a great, great phone, and and I like it, and I like the AT in much the same way, and they improved on it by giving it that hole punch notch and and making it look a little bit sleeker and slimmer. The prices, you know, right in that same price range, and and it's definitely a compelling value. But kind of as we said, the the phone is a little bit hamstrung by the fact that the OEM went backwards, and so I didn't want to do that, and so that left me also at the same place, the Pixel Five and the S twenty FE, and uh, um. I wrote down on my notes what I picked and I'm going to, I'm going to do like you and I'm going to cheat a little bit. And I'm going to say that my pick for phone of the year was also the galaxy S 20 FE, but I also pick the pixel five and there's only one thing that differentiates these two devices in terms of what we would pick. And that's the size. If you just cannot, and I'm on record as saying this multiple times, if you just cannot handle having a large phone, and this was the reason why I don't use the 7T as my daily driver anymore, just because it's, it other than for sitting in bed and watching, you know, streaming YouTube or YouTube TV or, you know, something else, um, it just, it is just a little bit too unwieldy for day-to-day daily driver status for me. And I have it in a nice, you know, grippy silicone case. Um, the 70s cameras aren't great. I have the G cam port, which improves them a little bit, but it's just, it's not as good. It's not as quick. It's not as reliable as the pixel camera, um, or as the S20 FE's cameras for that matter. I have, I don't think I've seen, um, I, don't, I haven't seen Jack's phone. I haven't seen Eric's phone. Um, I have seen the S20 FE. I really like the Navy color. That was one of the other things that's kind of underrated. It comes in because it's polycarbonate uh, or glastic or plastic, whatever the hell they call it. Um, it comes in a bunch of fun colors, which is actually kind of an, an interesting value proposition. They're doing a little bit more of that with the S21 line too. That comes like in a brown and a black for the first time and, you know, gold and a bunch of other fun colors, which to me that, you know, that's just market appeal and, and it's just aesthetics, but it, it does, it does compel some people. It is very compelling for some people to pick um, that device, whether they want to put it in a case or not is, you know, another story. Um, but I picked the S20 FE straight up because for $599, which is effectively what its price is, you're getting a crap ton of flagship features. Um, and you know, you could certainly argue that there is not enough of a compelling delta between the S20 or S20 Plus 
and the S20 FE. Like, would you give a crap about premium uh, materials in terms of glass and metal, but you got to spend effectively, you know, $350 to $400 more for them? You're getting the same processor. You're getting slightly less RAM. You're getting most of the camera features. You're getting the wireless charging. You're getting incredible battery life. You're getting a great display. Maybe not the very best display, but a great Samsung display, OLED to top it off. The high refresh rate, which you've already touched on. You know, there, there, really, isn't, <laughs> there really isn't a reason for anybody to buy the S20, maybe the S20 Plus, but there really isn't a reason for anybody to buy those phones over the S20 FE. There just isn't because the S20 FE is that good of a phone. And heads up against the Pixel 5, you know, it's kind of a pick em in terms of really one is a, a really, really good, slightly larger phone. And one is a really, really good, slightly smaller phone. Um, remind me, what is the S20 display size again? 6.5? 6.5. Yeah. Okay. 6.5 versus 6 um, straight up. The, the, Pixel, the Pixel feels small, but it isn't. And that's the funny thing to me is that I pick up that phone and I go, God dang, this phone is small. But it really isn't. Like if you'd have told me that six inch phone was small like three years ago, I would have, like I said, like you would have told you were high off your ass. But um, you know that's coming from a place where you know four point seven inch iPhone sizes, screen sizes were were kind of the norm. But the 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 S twenty's value proposition and what it can do is just so compelling. It's really hard to say that any other phone beats it. It may be its equal in a lot of ways for the price, but no other phone is better. And Unless you are like me and just wanted a little bit smaller and more pocketable size of a phone, there isn't any reason why you shouldn't buy an S F twenty S twenty FE if you're in the market for a new Android smartphone. Hands down, it is for me unquestionably the phone of the year. Unless you want a smaller phone. Yeah, and I do think it is a coin flip amongst those, and there's lots of good phones in the market. I'm also I'm laughing at the fact that. Man, just for anyone that's listened long term, um, uh, what kind of a, uh, well, how full of shit I am, I guess, ultimately, because it was like, I remember when the SA Plus came out, I was like, I'm never spending $900 plus on a phone, and now I'm like, oh, Z Fold 2, 2 grand, sign me up. <laughs> uh, or it was like, oh, curved, curved screens suck, and then I was like, ah, oh, curved screens aren't so bad, it makes the phone narrower, and now I'm like, thank Christ, curved screens are going away, and everything's going back to flat, which is another nice thing the S20 FE has. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, spec whore for life, I'm always going to pick the most spec out phone, and now it's like, yeah, I came up with uh, two mid-range phones for my phone of the year, so um, <laughs> I, I guess what people should take away from this is, uh, one, I'm full of shit, but or, or two, I guess you could just say, uh, I'm willing to admit what I'm wrong and, and evolve when uh, new, new data comes in, but um, yeah, it, it was an interesting year in phones, and it's, it's fun to see there's still some, you know, especially with the foldables, I feel like two things are happening. There's the, the foldables, which is really, and, and some, some of the stuff that Samsung's doing with like the, the 108 megapixel cameras and some of the other OEMs are doing too with photography. That's still really interesting. There's some, still some boundaries being pushed there. Um, I think we've hit a stopping point in screens where it's like 1080p or QHD, you know, 120 Hertz is kind of, I feel like we're, we're good for now. Um, and until they can get under screen cameras, like, you know, we basically have these form factors that have literally very, very little to no bezel. They're all screen at this point. So it's like you have this interesting divergence of, um, 
candy bars have kind of hit this form factor and now everyone's really figuring out what things are important and focusing on those. You're getting a lot of like really well-rounded phones, which is awesome. And, uh, and then on the other side, you have the foldables, which is like, Hey, if you want something a little more out there and, um, you want to be a little more on the cutting edge and have some weird form factors, uh, and rollables are coming up here pretty quick. Like that's happening at the same time. And so I, I think it's a great time to be a, a customer if you're looking for a phone because, uh, once again, you can't go too wrong. And it's like, now you don't have to spend a fortune to get a truly like remarkable phone. I mean, the pixel four a is 350 bucks and is fantastic. If you don't need a lot of bells and whistles. And if you want more bells and whistles, the pixel five is like, you're, you know, again, just incredibly well-rounded, um, and we'll get you two day battery life to boot, uh, and we'll get quick updates and you have the S 20 FE as options. And, uh, that, you know, that one pluses are still floating around out there. And it's like, there's just a lot of good stuff and you don't have to spend a fortune anymore, um, to get there. And, uh, so it, it, but, it, but it's an interesting change of really, I think you did have to buy the high end phones to really get a, a really good all around package up until the last year or two. And now it's like gotten to the point where it's like, eh, you want a phone that does a bunch of things really well. If you buy the F20 FE or the pixel five, it's like, I don't, I think it'll last you for years and you'll have no, there's really no discernible downside that I can think of. Um, so interesting times. And, you know, I, I do like too that we're getting some variety and like, like I like that plastic's coming back as ridiculous as that sounds. Cause I think if you have a nice plastic in some ways, that's honestly better than, um, glass was it, but I actually really love the pixel five solution. I, I think that that's a really interesting material that kind of marries the, you know, it's not plastic. It has this coating that's grippy. It's got a metal base, but it still does wireless charging. I'd actually love people for more companies to steal that design. I actually think that's one of the best things about the Pixel Five design that makes it stand out in a lot of ways. Yeah, I tend to agree, and I, I think you're you've kind of hit the salient point right on the head, which is that you know a couple of years ago, not not really that long ago, but a few years ago, you know, mid-range phones were were not good. They had multiple compromises that made them basically like I couldn't afford the flagship, so that's why I had to buy the mid-range phone. Now that is no longer the case. You can get a mid-range phone that performs like a flagship and the flagships now have to have other interesting and new things that differentiate them. Like they fold or they have a wing or, you know, they have, um, you know, crazy, you know, large camera sensors in the case of the iPhone 12s. And, and it really is a great time to be a smartphone purchaser. And I agree on a lot of those points. And I think that, you know, the fact that we've gotten to a point where we can recommend mid-range phones to people, you know, phones that cost less than $700 is great for the market, especially in current times. And I think that will continue to be true into the future. And that we've got a, you know, we've got a new segment. The The market has moved and there's nothing wrong with that. And it, it is just different. And it used to be that, you know, the high-end phones cost a lot of money and had everything. And then, you know, a lot of the mid-range phones caught up. And now the mid-range phones have everything that that is necessary really for smartphones. And so now that the new top end is, you know, different things, tr you know, try OEMs trying different things and making, um, you know, choices that are going to drive the market for years and years to come. But you're more on the bleeding edge there, as opposed to I've gotten a phone that really does everything that I need it to do. And I'm John Q consumer. And I only have to spend, you know, five, $600 to get a really, really great phone. And, 
Uh, like I said, I think that's good for everybody. I think it's good for the market. I think it's good for smartphone enthusiasts. I think it's good for the average consumer. And I think it's good for the OEMs because I think ultimately they're going to end up selling a lot more of these phones. And that is what ultimately is the measure of success. And if you know if Samsung sells a lot of phones, if Google sells a lot of phones, Apple will always sell a lot of phones. But if they if they can all do that, that, that makes commoditization of some of the things like foldable screens and and um, you know, bioresin coatings on recycled aluminum frames a lot more easy to to bring down to everybody else. And and 2021 is going to be an interesting year. I think we we've we will have for sure uh, at least two S21 pluses in in house to review, and we'll take a look at those. We'll have some um, Galaxy Bud Pro Galaxy Buds Pro to review. We will have um, the new smart tracker from Samsung to review. And, um, and we'll, we'll, 2021 promises to be a really intriguing year. Um, and I'm glad we took the time to take a look back at some of our, you know, best and worst of tech in 2020. And, um, yeah, that, that was the year that was for sure. Yeah. Interesting year. Next year should be interesting. We have a, yeah, I actually have, I know you have an S21 plus on the way. We have two S21 pluses and two S21s on the way, um, including two phantom purples. So, and then two as you were mentioning the the buds pro so um we'll, we'll check those out and see what they're like but um yeah interesting year some cool stuff and i'm interested to see a lot of companies i'm not positive what their direction are anymore so i'm really fascinated this year i want to really i'm curious to see what google does if they stick more in the mid-range or if they go back to making some flagship or or kind of have a range of phones so that's i'm, I'm really fascinated to see what they do because i think they i don't know if they backed into it via luck but i think the pixel 5 is the closest to their vision than anything and i hope they don't go the other way um and then i'm also really interested to see what oneplus and and samsung do i think we're seeing the direction of the samsung a little bit with the s21 so we, we kind of have some idea with them although we don't know exactly like you know with the notes and the foldables how they're gonna kind of roll out products during the course of the year but um, OnePlus is another really interesting one. We've seen rumors of their phones, and I'm, I'm interested to see what they do this year. So, um, it, yeah, uh, looking forward to a, a busy 2021. Yep, for sure. And rest assured, dear listeners, we will absolutely talk about it all. Anything else before we wrap it up, my dude? Nah, go eat dinner with your family. I'm going to do the same. Okay, sounds good. Take it easy, man. All right, Sean. Later. Yes. Bye. All right, bye. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you are tuning in to us on Apple Podcasts, please make sure that you leave us a five-star review. That really helps out the show. If you're streaming on Spotify or Pocket Cast or one of the other platforms, make sure to subscribe or like or favorite or whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, and tell a friend. That also really helps out the show. Thanks again so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the best of and worst of tech in 2020. And remember, as always, we will talk tech again soon.